This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Adventure is just bad planning. Roald Amundsen. We're still doing okay. We're not too cold. Um, you know, We're setting up a camp and getting ready. Um, we got the tent set up staked into the ground everything seemed fine uh, I went over to get something out of my pack and this massive gust of wind blows and I look over in time to see my friend Ryan's tent which was staked into the ground is now 20 feet in the air spiraling across the campsite spewing out all of his gear that was inside of the tent and then I looked over at my tent and my tent was completely pancaked it was completely flat and so now we're scurrying through the snow to try to find all of Ryan's gear, which is now rapidly spreading out across the mountain. And um, packed every, grabbed everything, threw it into a pile, just kind of collectively looked at each other. I said, the magazine article just finished writing itself. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirtbags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. One of the many great things about doing this podcast is interacting with the folks who are tuning in out there and listening to the pod. This week, I'm talking to one of our listeners who reached out the other day on social media, and I just loved his trail name. We got to chatting a bit. One thing led to another, and here he is. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Kalman Tinka. How's it going, Kalman? Doing great, Doc. How are you tonight? Fantastic. And I, I referenced your trail name, but I also loved your real name. 
Calvin Tinka is not your trail name. I just want to make that that very clear to our listeners right from the very get-go here. Yes, it is not my trail name, and it is not Calvin either, which is what most people call me. It, it is Calman. Calman, K-A-L-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a family name. I love it. I love it. Calman Tinka, and I think in the in the uh, the brief conversation we had before airing here, we talked about that being also being a hockey name, a great hockey name. <laughs> yeah, missed calling, I guess. <laughs> yeah, are there a lot of Tinkas out there in the NHL? Not that I'm aware of. Nope. I, I, I don't know of any off the top of my head. But it sounds like a hockey name, Calman Tinka. It definitely could fit in, you know. Ty Domi, Hawk and Lube, Flurry, <laughs> and Calman Tinka. I mean, that's that's a line, that's a lineup right there that you know could win the cup. Absolutely. Stanley Bound. Stanley Bound. Are you in Canada? No. No. Where, where are you calling him from? I am from the, uh, I live in the great state of Montana. Oh, Montana. That's mm-hmm. one of our favorite states. We, we hear about a lot of adventures in Montana. I would love to retire to Montana. Um, yeah, they don't have uh, a, they, they don't have a professional hockey team. They don't have any professional teams, do they? They're, it's uh it's, it's pretty scarcely populated, which makes it such a great state. Yep. It's the uh, fourth largest state. And I think the second least populated. That's a good combo, I think. <laughs> Coming from a large state myself, uh, with lots of people everywhere all the time, uh, the appeal of Montana, the second least populated state, that's, uh, that's pretty attractive. Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Ohio, and it's, Ohio is the third the size of this state with 11 million people, and Montana just recently broke the million population mark. I'm listening to myself talk here about, uh, you know, second least populated state, how great that would be. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you, how do you uh, demonstrate that you're an introvert without saying the word introvert? I think, I think that, uh, that, that demonstrates that. And people might think, doc, how are you an introvert? You're on a podcast talking to people all the time. And you know, I, I'm just talking to one person at a time, right? It's not, uh, or maybe, maybe a duo occasionally. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I do YouTube and I'm completely introverted. And not only that, I, I hate listening to my voice and seeing myself on record. So okay. who knows? <laughs> All right. So make sure that you don't listen to this episode or watch this episode on YouTube, Calman. <laughs> Try not to. <laughs> okay. Now I did reference your, your trail name in the intro here. So we have to hear what your trail name is. And of course, the story behind it. Uh, absolutely. So uh, my trail name is Ghost Mule. And I, I received this uh, wonderful name uh, last year uh, while on a week-long trip hiking around the Cloud Peak Wilderness in the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming uh, with two hiking buddies, including uh, one whose trail name is Phantom, who is kind of my uh, go-to backpacking uh, partner and trail mentor, although he hates it when I say that. Um, but anyways, uh, on the second day of the trip, um, we were hiking and like I said, it's only the second day and I was not uh, dehydrated or hallucinating or anything like that. Um, but we were coming down a hill and I saw distinctly at the bottom of the hill what looked like a mule or a donkey. And it had canvas bags on its side with leather buckles, straps and all the all the fittings. And I, I said to my hiking buddies, I, well, oh, we got some pack animals coming and they're like, what are you talking about? And so there's some pack animals coming up the hill and um, they shrug their shoulders and we get down to the bottom of the hill and th- there, there was nothing. 
there, there was no pack animals. There were no human beings. There were no footprints, nothing. So I may or may not have seen a spectral pack animal. And uh, so Phantom chose to coin the uh, trail name Ghost Mule. Spectral, it's- spectral pack animal. That might be the title of the episode we just we just stumbled <laughs> across. Yep. I think that's what I referred to, at least in the video. Um, so, so where yep. was this? Where was this? So we were in, uh, at the time we were just on the outskirts of the cloud peak wilderness, um, which is in the Bighorn mountains in Wyoming near Buffalo. An equally, uh, devoid of population state. Now, do you subscribe to the belief that there are some places on this planet that, uh, may may lend themselves to uh, looking into another time. Maybe may you know might be you know thin in in the the walls between uh, eras, and you may glimpse occasionally uh, a look into the past or the future. I mean, this might be one of those oh. those places. Seeing this, pack- oh, that, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely, um, and, and I would say that's probably one of them. Um, you know, Phantom, the guy that was on the trip with us, he worked there as a uh, wilderness ranger for 27 years. And he had some great stories about the whole place. And there's a lot of history there. And, and um, you know, there are other places I've been to. Um, one of the <clears throat> uh, more well-known ones around here is uh, the, the Crazy Mountains, um, which is just kind of northeast of Bozeman. Um, and they are they live up to their name uh there it's just one of those places it just feels different and uh um almost creepy at times <laughs> but definitely there's some places like that i think well, well generally when when places are named i mean they're named for a reason and if, if it's called the crazy mountains i mean that 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 would give me pause yeah yeah there's a few legends associated with the name um i think the most popular one is a lady who um, she was with her family. They were pioneers. Um, they were homesteading in the area and uh, came, she came home after doing something and her family had been murdered and she supposedly went crazy and disappeared into the mountains. And uh, on a clear night, you're supposed to be able to hear her wails of sorrow in the background. And so at least that's the, the, the story that I heard. And did she take a loaded pack mule with her? <laughs> no, that would only have been if it would have been the cloud peak wilderness. That's right. That's right. Different, <laughs> different area. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, are you a regular listener to the podcast here? I am actually. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of a neat experience and a bit of an honor for me, but yeah, I, I walk to work every day and I listen to the podcast more often than not. It's about a half an hour walk. So I get a couple days worth out of each episode. Fantastic. That always tickles me. I, I, I know just from the statistics that people are listening out there, but I, it always tickles me to talk to someone who has been or who is a regular listener and um, uh, enjoys enjoys the podcast. So thank you very much for, for being a listener. I really appreciate that. I appreciate you re- reaching out to me. And I, I think it's great that you and I are talking tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this has been fun. I've been looking forward to it. Okay. Do you have any favorite episodes or favorite guests that we've talked to? Oh man. Um, there's been several good ones. I've read, listened to a few recently. Um, I'm a big fan of like Jeff Garmeyer. So, I mean, his episode is awesome. He's a funny guy. Um, he's also in Montana now. Um, that's right. 
yeah, no, I've always enjoyed his um, a lot. Um, I also enjoyed um, uh, Derek Lugo uh, episode. He was really fun. I'm reading his book right now um, and been following his adventures on the CDT. So yeah, there's been a lot of good ones, actually. What do you think of the book so far? I'm loving it. I'm about three quarters of the way through. Um, he's got a great, subtle sense of humor and the thoughts that he has and he voices his internal thoughts. I'm thinking, man, I've, I've had those exact same thoughts on trail. <laughs> yeah. He's, it's pretty darn good. I was, I was reading that and I felt like I was out there with him. And, and when, when you can put yourself out there, I mean, that, that tells you that it's a good book. Yeah, absolutely. And he catches it from a, an interesting point of view, you know, being that he, um, you know, has a different, demographic but also background and isn't um you know did, hadn't done a lot of hiking before that and so i think it's kind of refreshing and kind of reminds you of the times that you know you i started out as a backpacker or being kind of a fish out of the water so to speak so it's a lot of fun to read yeah can you imagine your first hike being 2200 miles long i mean that just that's just mind-boggling to me I, I, my first backpack trip, I nearly died in three miles, so I couldn't <laughs> even get out of it. Um, nice. And going back to legend for a second, Jeff Garmeyer, uh, somehow he and I came to exchange phone numbers. And so one day I'm at work in an important meeting and my phone buzzes and it's this random text from Jeff Garmeyer. And I'm like, I could not focus on the meeting. I'm like, guys, Jeff Garmeyer just texted me. Are you kidding me? Legend himself. <laughs> legend. That's right. That's right. He is. Uh, he's a favorite guest. He, I'm, he, he, he uh, when your episode airs, uh, he, he will have been on for the third time. I had, a, I had a chance to talk to him and um, Gabe Peterson and Kevin Goldberg about their Cocodona 250 experience. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. He is just a, a unique dude and mm-hmm. a lot of. Yeah. You know, the, he and, and Kevin Goldberg were running kind of, they're passing each other on the, on the two fifty. So they're, you know, they are within an hour of each other uh, either way and would keep passing each other. And Kevin early on knew who he was. He knew who Jeff Garmar was. And he says, Hey, you know, I think you and I have uh, something in common. And Jeff said, uh, what's that? And Kevin said, we've both been on the John freaking Mirpod twice. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a, com- a conversation starter out there as well. There you go. You're part of the community now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, well, I, I, I love, I love hearing about your impressions of the podcast, but I also asked to make sure that you are aware of the segment that we do towards the end of the episode called the pro tip inside of the week. That's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. And of course you are expected to drop trail, trail wisdom throughout the episode, but, but officially I will ask you at the end of the episode as well. I will, I will do my best to be prepared. Okay. You know, wisdom comes from experience and experience comes from mistakes. So we love talking about the mistakes and where we went wrong and how others can learn from that. So that's, that's the fun part of the, of the show. Yep. I've got plenty of those to share. (laughs) Plenty of wisdom. Is that what you're saying? Ghost meal? Yes. I always tell people I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy that survived a lot of dumb mistakes. That's right. It sounds like the bio of the uh, John freaking Mirpod. So very good. (laughs) The must bring gear review. All right. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, six moon designs. Here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So ghost mule, what is your must bring piece of gear? 
These are always hard for me to think about. I think if I had to pick something more recently, um, it would probably be my uh, Hilltop Packs Designs uh, fanny pack, roll top fanny pack. Um, it's made out of DCF, it's waterproof. And um, I like that it's roll, uh, it's a roll top because I can open it up and go through it and nothing falls out and everything just stays right there. And it's easy, quick access to like my sunglasses, chapstick, um, camera, all that fun stuff. And a little easier than trying to fight with the hip pocket. So, and, and being a, a, a child of the nineties, it, it kind of larkens back to that uh, terrible uh, fashion statement of the, of the fanny pack. So uh, I would have to go with that one. Child of the nineties. Did you wear fanny packs back then? I did not, but my dad, who is the classic uh, stereotype, uh, um, you know, tourist, definitely partook in them. Love it. And I, I'm intrigued by this, this concept of the roll top, the roll top fanny pack. That's, mm -hmm. that's uh, pretty interesting because I had a fanny pack on a couple of my hikes that I did, my, my backpack did not have hip belts uh, with pockets in them. So I, I kind of supplemented by using a fanny pack. And there was one particular trip on the High Sierra Trail where jukebox and i got charged by a couple of deer at the end of the trail i mean they were coming down the i mean they were they're charging us and stopping and charging and stopping it was touch and go there for a little bit and i was scrambling in my fanny pack trying to unzip it and, and find the uh the horn i call it the bear horn in there to, to kind of hopefully hopefully scare it away and you know i couldn't get to it for for whatever reason i don't know if it was the heat of the moment or i was exhausted or, or whatever the deal was but uh tell me about this roll top yeah, um, well, I can actually show you here. Perfect. So if you're listening to this on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, go ahead and hit the pause button and go to the YouTube video because Ghost Mule is going to show us the roll tip, the roll top. So this is what it looks like. It's closed. It just has a buckle on the top and it rolls just like a dry bag would. Look at that. And there's a little top. And so the belt is still pretty low. And so when it's unrolled, it just kind of either flaps over or stands straight up and it doesn't let things fall out. Um, so, and again, it's waterproof, so there's no zipper. And so it's pretty easy to get open. Um, sometimes though, the strap does uh, dangle and wearing it in front, it, it, it is a little awkward, um, but. <laughs> yeah, that looks interesting. Yeah, no, it, it works really well. I was kind of curious as to how the roll top would work. and. Like I say, it's nice because when you're rummaging through it, um, that opens up and it stays pretty much upright. So it doesn't, nothing falls out. Right. And I have to imagine that after five, five or six days on the trail, that thing probably stays up on its own. Uh, you're pretty close along with lots yeah. of other clothing items. All right, ghost mule, you know where we are right now? Would this be the hiking pole? pole? That's right. It's the hiking pole. And I've got some brand new questions that I want to run by you. Uh, I'm going to ask you seven questions. And these seven questions are going to help me determine your level of sanity on a scale of one to 100. 100, you're completely sane. It's never happened before when I talk to a hiker. Uh, and one, you're completely bonkers. Haven't gotten to number one either, but uh, you know, there's always a first time. So get ready. All right. I'm changing it up a little bit. I've got some new questions for us uh, that really, they don't pertain to hiking. These are just kind of the age old questions that you have to take a stand on. And it's going to help me decide, you know, whether or not you're, you're nuts. And it's, it's strictly subjective. You know, I have my own opinions on the subject here. So uh, 
It's going to be interesting. You ready? Absolutely. All right. Question number one. Do you sleep with your socks on? I do not. Okay. Nope. All right. What do, you think of, what do you think of someone who at home, just during the normal course of their lives, sleeps with their socks on? I don't, I don't know if I have an opinion on it. I never really thought about it. I mean, okay. So I have to say when I was a firefighter, I, I slept with my socks on because I had to be able to, well, you gotta to be ready, quick. That's but right. uh, no, I, I've never worn them at home. I have probably worn them on trail, but I would say generally speaking, I, I don't. Um, and I'm, I, I'm sure if, if it works out for people, great, but I, I personally have never done yeah, it. I think I think you got to let the feet breathe. I mean, they, they need some time to themselves. You, they don't can't be can't be cooped up all the time. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, all right. I am the footwear all day long. So far, so good. You're you're at a hundred so far. <laughs> okay. Hey, Excellent. does next question? Does pineapple belong on pizza? I'm probably gonna lose some points here. <laughs> I do enjoy pineapple on a Hawaiian pizza. I wouldn't say it's the only pizza I eat and uh, it's not my go-to, but it's not bad. I would say I'm about 50, 50 on that one. Okay. Now you, you hesitated. There was a long pause there. I want to make sure that the pause is not because you were confused by the question or you weren't sure of your answer. I want to make sure that I want to make sure that you weren't, you weren't pausing because you're thinking, okay, what is the right, what does doc want to hear? What is the right answer? I don't want you to do that. I want, I want no, no, your no, no. honest, your honest reactions here. It, 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 the pause was the um, calculation of the level of, of uh, hate uh, messages I might receive uh, afterwards. <laughs> this is a, it's a surprisingly um, uh, visceral subject matter with some people. I think it is, it is. And, you know, I agree with you. I agree. Pine, I just, I had pizza tonight for dinner as I was waiting for this interview to take place. We, we have a, a pizza oven outside and my daughter, half calf, who we heard her voice earlier on the transitions here. Uh, she has become an expert pizza oven cooker and we, she, she makes a mean Hawaiian pizza and I really enjoy that. So, but even though I agree with you, there is, there is a point deduction on that because it is such a hotly debated, uh, hateful subject. Yeah, no, I, I fully anticipated that. <laughs> okay. All right. Next question. Do you roll do you do you roll your toilet paper over or under? On the on the roll when it comes off? Yeah. Over. Over. Yep. Over. And the why patent is that? Shows it over, so I'm gonna have to go with the patent. The what? There's actually an illustration. The patent for a toilet toilet paper dispenser shows it going over. Okay, so you had zero point deduction on that question until you started referencing the picture on the patent. I mean, the fact that you have seen the picture on the patent and are referencing it in the answer, I mean, that, that says something about you, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff on the internet. Just got to go down some of those rabbit holes every once in a while. <laughs> All right, next question. How do you pronounce the acronym? Acronym? Proper noun? I don't, I don't know what it is. G-I-F. GIF. GIF. It's not GIF? I, I, I always say GIF. I'm probably wrong. I'm completely technologically inept. So <laughs> hey, we managed to get on, we managed to get online and have this Zoom interview. So you're not you're not that inept. <laughs> Minor miracle. 
Minor miracle. Okay. Um, next question. Question number five. Cats or dogs? I don't have either, but I would, hey, I say if I had, I'd, I'd go dog. Dog. Mm-hmm. Big, this is, this is not a, this is, this is not a question in the survey. It's kind of a, a follow-up question. Big dog, little dog, medium dog. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the medium sized mutt, you know, just some, you know, your average dog, um, you know, they just always seem to be about the, the best blend, um, you know, personality wise and fun wise. And so, yeah, I'd just say a medium sized. Okay. All right. Sixth question. Do you use the Oxford comma? And if you need, if you need me to explain the Oxford comma, I can do that as well. No, I know the Oxford comma is. Yes, generally I do. I uh, would say <laughs> Gener- generally, generally you do. Grammatically, I'm not necessarily the most consistent person in the world, but um, yeah, no, I, I typically use the Oxford comma. Okay, nice. And if, if our listeners out there are wondering what the Oxford comma is, look it up. It's important. I agree. Okay. And last question. Dangerous question. Big point deduction here. If if you're wrong, uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? This is one of the deep, meaningful questions in life I've never pondered before. <laughs> I would say no. I, I don't. I don't know. I'll go with no. Going to go with no. Okay. What what is the definition of a sandwich? How would you define uh, sandwich? I mean, a sandwich would be uh, two pieces of bread with various uh, items inside of it. And I guess a hot dog would be one piece of bread with stuff crammed inside of it. Okay. So interesting. Interesting. All right. Let me do some quick math here. Some tabulations uh, in, in the notes. Uh, let's say I carry the three on this one. I got to divide by the root of two. I'm going to multiply that by pi and factor in the air pressure from the top of Whitney. And I come up with an 83. Pretty, pretty sane. Pretty sane. Uh, that's, that's impressive, uh, especially considering I was n- in no way, shape, or form prepared for this poll. This the is other straight, poll out probably- of, straight out of the air. You, you had no idea what was coming. You, you represented well. I liked your answers. Uh, you had some good explanations there. Um, were you hoping for a low score or a high score? I mean, what is the, what is the badge of honor here? Is it, is it a 95 you're looking for saying, Oh, I am really sane. Or are you hoping for like a 42? I mean, you know, sanity has its pluses, but I think, uh, you know, people that are a little bit off are just as much fun. So maybe a lower score. I don't know. (laughs) If you had to evaluate yourself on the sanity scale, where do you put yourself? Oh boy. Uh, let's see. I used to run into burning buildings for a living and I also spent some time working with venomous snakes. So I would say I would be pretty low. I've made some questionable life choices. <laughs> okay. Are you in like in the seventies, sixties, fifties? What do you think? Uh, I'd say upper seventies, upper seventies. You know, I like this. I like this. Uh, you know, I like the hiking pole, the, you know, the, the seven questions survey that helps me kind of gauge it. And then I love to hear what uh, what your your own score is what you think your score should be just from your own life experiences that, that may be a, a new way of looking at this on the podcast so ghost mule thank you for for being the first to try this out 
Absolutely. I enjoy being a good pioneer. Maybe one day I'll do a phone or friend thing where you get an honest opinion from a third source. (laughs) That is intriguing. I like that. Nice. Nice. All right. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit and let's tell people about your background, kind of where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played, uh, maybe when you were in high school and how did you get involved in the hiking cult? Yeah. So, um, I grew up in Ohio, um, and actually Dayton, Ohio. So, um, aviation, uh, capital of the world. And, um, as far as in school, I was not uh, a very athletic, uh, a kid. Um, I did not do a lot of us. Uh, I didn't do any school sports. Um, uh, but I did, uh, my hobbies and stuff. I, um, I spent a lot of time in the boy scouts and, um, the Boy Scouts is, is one of the ways that I ended up in the hiking um, world or cult, um, as a lot of people kind of get introduced to it. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, grew up in Ohio um, and uh, probably my first ever backpacking experience actually was with my dad and it was an absolute disaster. Um, neither of us knew what we were doing. It was well before the time of the internet and we were grossly overloaded. And, uh, we got lost and in the process of getting lost, we got stuck in the middle of a stinging nettle patch, which we then had to run through. And if you ask my dad, my dad's version of the story is halfway up a relatively small hill in Ohio. I faked an asthma attack, um, to get him to stop. And uh, I dispute that claim, but, um, he is, he is steadfast in telling that part of the story. Are you disputing that it was an asthma attack or that it was fake? Uh, probably a little from column A and a little from column B. Um, I, I don't remember it happening, but who knows, maybe I was doing such a good job of acting. I momentarily blacked out, just completely forgot the event. Um, okay. but yeah, it, as I say, it concluded with the two of us, um, just collapsing on side of the lake near a parking lot, um, you know, gassing for brass. We could, didn't even have enough energy to take the packs off. Okay. And how many years ago was this? That would have been about when I was maybe 15 or 16, which would have been in the early nineties. Um, so, um, about 30 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you're still, right. and you're still talking about it. I mean, so it had, it had to be a good time. Type two fun it, right there. It was definitely the first introduction to type two fun. Um, and much, uh, creates an air of even more shock in most of my family that I continue to to be a backpacker and eventually made it my career. What does that say about the outdoors or about hiking that, and I've heard so many first time horror stories. And then those people, despite that terrible experience, I mean, I'm talking about flesh peeling off of their feet. I mean, just absolute gory, horrible stuff. Uh, They decide, you know what? I'm going to go out there again. I mean, typically, if you would, if you go out to a restaurant and you order a dish that you've never had before, and it comes and uh, you eat it and you get sick that night, I mean, the typical reaction is, "I am never doing that again," right? Or uh, something tastes horrible. I'm not doing it. Not doing it again. But there is something about the outdoors and hiking and what it provides to us that even even in the most difficult of circumstances, we'll say, you know what? I'll give that another try. Let's, let's see how, let's see how it goes again the next time. 
Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you don't you don't ever see a group of people sitting around a campfire telling stories about all the good things that happened. It always gravitate gravitates back to the stories that everything went to shit in a handbasket, and you laugh and you have a lot of fun and. And I think generally you learn from those experiences. I think those are some of the most shaping experiences. I almost think it's the, it's the fact that we survive almost in spite of ourselves when we're out on that trail and um, you know, being able to kind of look back on that. And I, I think for me between that and the next experience, which is Philmont scout ranch, it really was a determination to not let that dictate the narrative of my outdoor experience. Um, and, and almost stubbornly decided to continue forward to, to have some more experiences. And I've had some really great ones since then. And I've had a lot of other type two fun stories that I get to tell around the campfire and get a chuckle at. So, well, maybe that's what this podcast is. We're sitting around the campfire telling type, type two fun stories and, uh, really enjoy that before we get to the Philmont scout ranch though. Um, I have to go back to the stinging nettle patch. I've never experienced nor heard of a stinging nettle patch. Can you, can you give us a little more detail on that? So stinging nettle is a plant that is in many ways, shape or form, almost as evil as uh, toxicodendrons, radicans or poison ivy. Um, it is a plant that actually has small hypodermic needles that run on the outer edge of the leaf. And when those brush up against your, your skin, they actually go into your skin and break off and they inject a um, not very long lasting, but very high burning um, oil kind of in the skin. So you don't have a reaction like a rash, but basically your flesh feels like it's on fire for about 10 to 15 minutes. And it, it is a um, not a fun experience and it takes a little while for it to kick in. And so when you're, you and your dad are idiotically walking through this group of plants, cause you can't find the trail and you you literally like both of us just came to a sudden stop, looked at each other without any verbal cues, knew exactly what was going on and then start like high stepping your way out to the other side, because at this point you're committed and you just want to get to the other side of this patch. And so imagine a set of uh, two gazelles with 50 pound packs on just power running through it and yeah just Look, looking like heisman trophy candidates high stepping, high stepping your way out of there that is yeah. that is brutal that's evil you're exactly it, right and ghost mule was i correct in my understanding there that you just rattled off the latin name of poison ivy indeed yeah yeah that's one of the few things i remember from uh, after the fire service i went back to college and uh, I took dendrology and that is one of the scientific names that always stuck in my name because it just sounds vicious. All right. That score may be dipping a little bit. Uh, <laughs> no, you, you dip down this into the, the, the high seventies. You're, 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 you're zeroing in on what the true score is. So, all right. Hey, how do you, how do you uh, Tell us a little bit about your career history. How did you pay the bills and how, how are you paying the bills now and, and financing your next adventures out there? So I, I, I am the poster child for the fluid career development 
Um, I spent 10 years out of high school uh, as a firefighter paramedic um, in Ohio. Um, and then after that job, um, uh, eventually would lead to some other issues um, dealing with the stress and stuff of that job. Uh, I decided to go back to college um, where I um, went to school for um, ecotourism and adventure travel and natural historical interpretation. It's a mouthful. Um, after that, I, I actually worked for the state of Ohio as a uh, naturalist or an, an environmental educator. Um, and that was a seasonal job. And in the off season, I moved out to Montana to do some environmental ed. And um, after moving to Montana, Ohio didn't seem to hold a lot of interest anymore. And so I stayed out here and I spent the last few years, um, I actually work at a locally owned and operated um, outdoor store. So I, I, I actually literally made backpacking my, my occupation. I, I sell backpacking gear and um, it's a lot of fun. Fantastic. Just, you say locally owned and operated. So I'm assuming it's not the Montana, Montana's one REI store. We have multiple ones now. Okay. There's yeah, one, okay. All right. Um, there's one in Billings. There's one in Bozeman and I think Kalispell. Um, but yeah, we have a few now, um, but no, it is not REI. Do you want to drop the name of this locally owned and operated back backpacking store? Yeah, so um, I think I'd be okay. It's uh, it's called the Base Camp. Um, there are two locations here and in Helena, um, and uh, the owner's been doing it since 1975, um, and it's uh, been a great place to work. Um, you know, Montana is very loyal to Montana, and so we uh, have a lot of small companies that um, have been able to survive. You know, a lot of um, otherwise growth. Um, so. And, you know, it's been a, been a fun experience. What a great name for, for an outdoor store, the base camp. Yep. Fantastic. Hey, before we go to break, let me ask you one more question on the, uh, the hiking pole. Uh, we're going to add one in here. Cause I know you're from Ohio, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, eighth question, eighth unofficial question of the hiking pole. Uh, Wright Patterson air force base recovered saucers there or not. I can neither confirm nor deny those rumors. Um, no, uh, that is actually funny because anytime there's a, a documentary on it, my dad, my dad actually worked at Wright Patterson. Oh, um, okay. I, hey, all right. We have an exclusive here on the <laughs> John Freaking Pod. We're about to get some intel on yeah, uh, whether so, or not there's anything interesting at uh, Wright Patterson. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ghost me. There, there are some interesting looking tunnels that I have uh, come around the corner and, and, you know, signs that say, you know, no authorized personnel only. Um, we, we, my dad and I were actually watching a documentary and they showed a picture, a long range photograph of the building. And my dad just started laughing and he said, I worked in that building for 12 years and there's nothing in there, but filing cabinets and cubicles. <sighs> so yeah, no, um, cannot, uh, cannot, uh, answer that in any firm, firm, uh, uh, way, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff on that base. So it, if there's anything, any place to hide in plain sight, it would be that. Okay. All right. Now you, you mentioned tunnels with uh, signs on it. Was that during like uh, take your, take your kid to work day at the air force base? They just let kids run around on the base. Uh, so shockingly. <laughs> yeah. My dad would take on the weekends. Sometimes my dad, um, 
would take us in there. And, and the area that he worked in was a secured um, facility. He actually worked on the development of the B2 um, bomber. Um, so, um, you know, we would go in through doors that had lots of locking mechanisms on there and you'd have to call in to make sure that the place wasn't secure, was secured and everything. But yeah, we, we, we spent a lot of time in there. We were probably too young to know anything, but. We, we may have to have ghost mule senior on the podcast here. <laughs> I don't think he can confirm anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to get into that uh, Philmont Scout Ranch story and some other uh, type two fun. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Ghost Mule. And Ghost Mule, I just want to go back just a little bit and revisit your former career firefighter and paramedic for 10 years you said yep 10 years mm-hmm. and you talked about your your you know being the poster boy for a fluid career uh history there and so what 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 led you to change your your job then and go from being a firefighter slash paramedic to wanting to try something else yeah um so that's a, a complicated question and a lot of it, i think roots from the fact that um you know, I started doing it um, right out of high school. So 
I think I was 19 when I went into the fire Academy. Um, and like most 19, 20 year olds, I, I was, um, young and invincible and, um, you know, went into that field. Um, and, uh, the department I worked for, um, we did both. So I, not only was I a firefighter, but I also became a paramedic and we alternated between the ambulance, um, and the fire truck. Um, and it was a great job. Um, it definitely taught me a lot of life lessons and I definitely grew a lot in that. Um, but after about 10 years, um, even as young as I was, I was having some physical, um, I had several physical injuries, uh, shoulder injury, knee injury, back injury. Um, you know, in fact, I, I got knocked off of the roof of a building, um, uh, right before I switched careers and I, I was off duty for a couple months, um, you know, rehabbing from that. Um, we were up cutting holes in the roof of a, of a house that was on fire and uh, a rookie came up the ladder he was a little bit overexcited and he knocked my foot off the rung and I slid off a two-story building. Um, and, you know, I had several friends that also had some physical, um, you know, traumas and they weren't, didn't have the, you know, they were retiring at the age of 35 with full disabilities. Um, and then on top of that, um, although a very rewarding job, it's also a very stressful job. Um, and being that young and making those kinds of decisions and, um, seeing some of the things that I saw and, and seeing them in my hometown, I, I worked for the town I grew up in. Um, and, um, it, it, it eventually began to manifest in, in, in some traumas of my own, um, and some mental health issues of my own. And so I was, I was in counseling for that and, I had to make some decisions because it's not the kind of job that you can just kind of show up and, and fudge your way through it. If you, if your head's not completely in it, you make a mistake, you could kill yourself, you could kill a coworker, um, a patient. Um, and I just noticed that, uh, I wasn't as focused on it as I should be. And, um, I was still working on getting a career position and I'd already been in for 10 years. And if I started a career position, I'd have to go for another 30 years. And I just didn't know physically or mentally if I could, could do it. Um, and so, you know, at the time I was single, um, I had no debt and I was volunteering for some park districts. In fact, I was going through Charles several outdoor leadership training seminars to become, uh, cause I had become pretty, you know, consistent backpacker at this point. And that was my, my salvage, my release, if you will, um, to get away from all of the heavier stuff that I was dealing with in that career. And I said, you know, I enjoy doing this stuff so much better. Um, and I don't have any reason not to. So I, I made the decision to retire after 10 years and I went back to college. Um, and it was the best decision I ever made. Um, but, um, because of that, um, you know, I, I do, um, still, have, uh, some PTSD, um, and some other, um, mental health, uh, related things of that. And I think that is also why I have continued to pursue backpacking and outdoor activities because those have always been, um, my salvation from that, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So firefighting, I mean, you're either all in or all out, right? I mean, it's that it, you have to be that focused I mean, it's life yeah. or death out there. Yeah, it's it's zero to 100 miles an hour in right. a heartbeat. And, um, you know, it's it's like I would say it's uh, about 
15 minutes of sheer terror followed by four hours of just constant manual labor, um, wearing 80 pounds of gear and, um, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah. And you know, I am, I am, uh, a school district administrator before that I was a high school principal and a high school assistant principal and work in a great district. Um, a lot of great students and staff families, everything. But there have been a couple of times where there have been some pretty serious things happen. And, you know, I find myself, you know, thinking about that stuff occasionally, even to this day. And so I can't imagine being in a profession where you, you may be confronted with that daily having to, to deal with that. And I can totally understand how that accumulation of mental trauma just wears on you. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting dichotomy because um, my everyday life was everybody else's worst day ever. Um, you know, I, I, if I came into your life, it probably was something not great going on, um, on the flip side of that. And, you know, you, you kind of live your life almost in a constant state of, um, you know, awareness of, um, you know, what's going on around you and, and, you know, being on, on alert all the time. It, it's mm-hmm. very taxing. Yeah. Any other benefits from the outside that you've, you've reaped from your outdoor activities? Um, well, you know, one of the interesting side effects of stress and stress induced issues is the physical effects it has on your body. And, um, I, uh, you know, struggled with my weight for quite a bit after the fire service, um, partially because of injury. Um, you know, I, I had a hernia that, um, I didn't get treated for a long time and that, that affected a lot of things. But, um, you know, when I moved out to Montana, I probably, um, my weight had gone up and down, but I probably weighed uh, well over 300 pounds. Um, you know, I, I have continuing sleep problems, um, and, uh, other things like that. And it just generally speaking, it just had a, a profound effect on me physically as well. And it doesn't happen to everybody. I'm, just for me personally, um, weight became an issue. Um, and, um, it was affecting my ability, um, to, to do the outdoor stuff. Um, but you know, eventually, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought on that one. Um, but you know, in order to do those activities, I definitely, um, had to focus on my physical health. And so it has allowed me to over the time lose weight as well. Um, and how much weight have you lost? So at the beginning, a couple of years ago, when I started my YouTube channel, um, which is kind of about the same time I started losing weight, um, I was uh, over 300 pounds um, and now I'm down to about 230. So um, I would say probably close to 80 to 90 pounds, maybe a little bit more. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's been a, a fun journey, um, you know, the benefits of being out in the mountains, um, is the views and everything, but the disadvantages of the fact that you, uh, you're sucking for every little breath, uh, at altitude. And so, um, if you don't have good cardiovascular, uh, uh, health, it, 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 it can suck. So, um, you know, for me to be able to enjoy, um, not only mentally, but physically my trips, uh, I definitely needed to, to make some changes there. So, um, and are you driving a car to work every day? I don't. I, I actually, I am a, a, a full-time pedestrian. I, I walk or uh, ride a bike to work every day. 
Um, I run several miles every other day. And um, yeah, I, every, everywhere I go is by some form of foot, uh, foot powered transportation. And, and back to type two fun and what you just said there, you know, the, the suckiness of some of these activities uh, in our tagline, right. Embrace the suck. I think, I think that, I mean, that we embrace the suck because it leads to type two fun. I mean, we, we talk about the suck afterwards with a lot of fondness in our voice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, there's definitely, uh, uh, things that you have to go through in order to be able to enjoy things a little bit better. And, and for me, uh, some of my type two fun is, uh, is motivating myself to get out there and, and run four miles. Um, cause I am by no means a small man. Um, I still have, uh, some, uh, curviness to me, if you will. And so, um, but, uh, you know, after a winter of running in the Montana winter snow and cold and ice, and, uh, uh, when I'm able to get out there and, and hit the mountain passes and, uh, out hike my, uh, 20 year old hiking partners, it's worth it. There you go. There you go. All right. Hey, let's talk about some type two fun. Now let's, uh, let's talk about, you mentioned earlier, the Philmont scout ranch. What, what's going on with that? Yeah. So for those that don't know, Philmont is a high adventure base that the scouts, um, formerly the boy scouts, um, owns in New Mexico in the, uh, Santa de Cristo mountain range. Um, and it's a high adventure base and it has, um, trips that you can take, um, of varying lengths of time and distance. Um, and they're all, uh, backpacking trips in the mountains and, um, I had the opportunity to go in uh, 1997 and I remember it was a few years after my ill-fated attempt with my father and I had not backpacked at all since then. And I remember telling him I wanted to go on this trip and the look of absolute shock and, and disbelief across his face is, is still etched in my memory. Um, but yeah, I had the opportunity to go and um, my, tr- my troop decided to pick one of the hardest they could. And we did a hundred miles in 10 days. And at least one of those days was not, was a non-hiking day. So it was about a hundred miles in nine days. And in, that included going up and over the highest peak in the, the mountain range, which is Mount Baldy, which is a little over 12,000 feet. Um, and so, yeah, we got out there and um, the very first day, uh, the boots that I bought that I had thought I had broken in um, just tore the, the flesh right off the uh, back of my heels. And the first day... <laughs> And so, uh, I can say that I, I, uh, I used trail runners before it was cool. Um, I finished the entire trail in a pair of, um, Nike, uh, tennis shoes. <laughs> so my story of type two fun continued. Um, but yeah, we did a hundred miles, um, climbed up the mountain and, uh, struggled all the way through it. And, but it was one of the best trips I've ever been on. Wow. So your first trip was, uh, these, uh, stinging, what was it stinging nettles, stinging nettle patch, mm-hmm. these, hy- these, these hypodermics uh, injected with, uh, burning oil into your skin and, uh, you know, high stepping it out of there and collapsing on the side of a lake. Your second experience sounds like, uh, or maybe one of your, maybe not your second total, but, uh, one of your, your, your next experiences was actually losing flesh. As I referred to from some of my other stories that I've heard losing flesh off of your feet and still you're out there doing it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting trip. I, I, uh, I was wearing white liner socks. Um, they were not white at the end of the trip. They were a nice dark shade of red Brown Ooh. by the end. So. Ouch. Ouch. And how about, how about your scouts? Did you let them see your, your pain and discomfort or did you, you know, try to model for them? Uh, you know, that, that's actually a pretty interesting question because, you know, at the beginning I was, um, probably pretty miserable and I've probably, uh, shared a lot of that misery. And one of the, uh, adults in the group, um, by the name of Paul actually kind of took me aside and, and said, you know, um, the difference between a disaster of a trip and a memorable trip is the mindset that you utilize when you're in it. He said, because you're going to suffer regardless, but how you approach it mentally is what's going to, to, to change how that trip goes for you and how you remember that trip. And so I had the opportunity to make a decision. Am I going to continue to, to hate life or am I just going to, you know, uh, enjoy this opportunity that I had? And so, yeah, um, I did. Um, so probably by the second half, I was definitely in a lot better, um, shape mentally. Um, so maybe that was that turning point of, um, uh, learning a little about living in the moment and, uh, not letting, the focus on the terrible stuff outweigh the, the really cool stuff that's going on around you. I don't Fantastic. know if that makes sense. Now, now ghost mule, that almost sounded like a pro tip. So I ho- I'm hoping that, that you weren't trying to save that one towards the end because you're still going to be on the hook for, for another official pro tip. I think I still got one. I think we'll be okay. okay. That was great though. That was fantastic. All right. Hey, uh, back in the cloud peak wilderness, you mentioned your, your hiking partner, uh, Phantom. Have you, have you done any other hikes with Phantom? Is he, is he your, your main hiking buddy or is just an occasional guy you met out there? Phantom is the ultimate go-to adventure buddy. Um, you know, uh, being, uh, middle-aged, the majority of my friends are married with children and, uh, aren't always able to get out. Phantom is, hands down one of the coolest uh, people that I have ever come across on the trail. Um, Phantom is my hiking buddy and he is uh, in his seventies. Um, so he is retired. Uh, he's a retired school teacher and wilderness uh, backcountry ranger. And I met him uh, at where I work. He actually was our gift wrapper and I sold him a pack. And only after I sold him the pack did I, I realize that he was going to be taking that pack on a through hike of the PCT. And he has hiked uh, the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail, both from start to finish, both in his 60s. Um, and he actually started the Appalachian Trail the day after he ran the Boston Marathon. Wow. Um, so he's got some pretty substantial backpacking cred, although he's also one of the humblest people on the planet and he would never, um, share these things himself. Um, so yeah, he, he's one of those guys that I can, you can call up and, and say, Hey, do you want to go backpacking this weekend? And he's going to go, yeah, because you know, he's retired and, and he doesn't have anything else holding him back. So, um, always up for the trail, always a, had a, a lifetime of great trail stories, uh, and life stories and, uh, just an absolute joy to be able to share these experiences with him on the trail and, 
Um, and that trip too, like I said, with Cloud Peak Wilderness is that's where he worked for so many years. And so he was able to tell all these amazing stories about things that happened, which made it just even more um, interesting to be out there. So, um, but yeah, he, he's definitely been, um, you know, I, I, I hope to be a fraction as cool as he is in my seventies. I mean, the, the fact that he is still um, putting the pack on and hitting a trail. In fact, right now he's, he's working for the PCTA checking in hikers at the Southern tournaments of PCT. That's awesome. Now we're, we're a bit early in the episode for our impromptu top five list, but I think this is a very opportune time because of the, the topic you just shared. So you have found your ultimate uh, go-to hiking buddy, but for others out there who are still looking for their ultimate go-to hiking buddy, what, what are the top five characteristics that a go-to hiking buddy should have. Can you name five things that make him the, the ultimate go-to hiking buddy? Wow. Um, flexibility, um, the ability to, um, Touch be able to toes or no, as far as like being able to like schedule, um, you know, uh, we always kind of joke about with my other friends of like, I'll be like packing my pack up and I'll get that infant, that invariable phone call. Oh, Hey, uh, you know, my, my uh, significant others said I have to do this this weekend, so I can't go. So um, just availability um, to, to be able to go out um, on trips would be one. Um, a lot of, um, oh man, uh, this, is, this is tough. Um, what makes him cool? What makes him cool? His stories. Um, being able to share his experiences, um, you know, uh, having a ready supply of, uh, we don't have fires when we out, go out backpacking, but a ready supply of campfire stories, if you will, um, is definitely helpful. Um, uh, and also, um, you know, he's got uh, so much experience in, in, in the backcountry. So, um, you know, knowing where he's going to be able to do things um, and not be able to do things is, is beneficial. Yeah. Former uh, ranger, right? I mean, that's, that's a, that's a good hiking buddy to have former ranger. Right? He, he could be a help in a pinch. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, definitely a lot of skills. Um, lots of fun stories. Oh, uh, let's see what else. And we can leave it at those three if you want. I mean, yeah, I don't those, know. Are, I, those, are, those are three pretty good ones there being, being available and flexible, uh, having lots of stories to tell and having that kind of uh, backcountry experience. He also has a really great uh, dog that comes with us every once in a while, Roscoe. He's a poodle, a standard poodle. And so I call him Roscoe, the adventure poodle. So, you know, that's a lot of fun. And he's got to have a Roscoe. He, yeah. he or she has to have a Roscoe. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, speaking of animals, have you ever encountered any, any large animals out on the trail? Say in the Beartooth Mountains, maybe? Oh, yes. Um, so... The Beartooth Mountains is definitely known um, in its surrounds uh, Yellowstone, and it is one of the places in the lower 48 that has grizzly bears. And I've been here since 2014, and I've only ever had one encounter with a grizzly on trail. Um, but in, interestingly enough, it was with Phantom. And uh, we, we came around a bend, and, and there was this bear, and it didn't dawn on us right away that it was a grizzly. I, I, I think my brain just defaulted back to that it was a, a brown black bear, which can't happen. Um, but I, I saw it, and it was probably 
I don't know, 50 feet ahead of us. It was close. Um, and it was a decent sized, I think I would say probably a immature adult. Um, and I instinctively just went bear. And as soon as I said that the bear looked up at me and went, Nope. And just took off into the bushes. And it was only after it had left that it that dawned on me that there was a hump and a ridge brow. And that that in fact was a grizzly. Um, so it's the only time I've ever taken the safety off my bear spray, but we walked back past very cautiously and, um, never saw that bear again. Uh, but shortly thereafter on that same trip, we were in an area that was very steep and the only passable spot was the trail itself. And right as you got to that section was the biggest pile of bear scat I've ever seen in my life. And so I thought, well, this is it. This is where I die because I'm going to run into this bear, but that didn't happen. Now, did you pick up the bear scat to see if it was still warm or? No, no. But is that uh, a thing or that's generally you just look for the steam coming off it or? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, you could definitely try it. But I think anytime you see the scat, the usual methodology is just leave the area. Um, so uh, I continued on. And, and, and funny thing was his phantom was farther back behind me. And I got through that area into another area where we stopped for lunch and he caught up and the first words out of his mouth was, did you see the size of that bear shit back there? <laughs> yes, Jay, I did. <laughs> so. so pro tip number two right there is you see, see sizable bear scat on the trail. Get the heck out of there. Yeah. Yeah. I might as well just leave uh, Dodge, but um, uh, it's believe it or not, the grizzly story is very fast is a, is a fun one to tell because not a lot of people have uh, experience, but it's not the, scariest um large animal encounter i've had um that that goes to moose okay i'm not going to get in your way on this one let's keep going yes yeah, so uh we were another time i was with some different hiking partners um and we were coming down into an area and the guy in front of me colin um very quickly turned around and started back up the hill towards me with his eyes about that big around. And all he said was moose, 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 moose. And sure enough, right behind him, this female moose just comes busting out of the trees at a full run right towards us. And, and uh, we were scattering to get the bear spray and everything out. And it, it finally stopped. And it turned out that it was a female uh, moose with a, with a, I don't know what, what their children are called, but a, a baby was with it. And another group of hikers were coming up. Probably a calf. Calf, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, can, was, thinking, I, I was thinking cub, but it's not cub. It's calf. Yeah. Yeah. I can list off the scientific name of of uh, poison <laughs> ivy. I can't tell you that. Uh, but there were some other hikers coming up the hill, which had spooked it, and it was running towards us. And then we just happened to be there at the worst possible time, um, and it stopped about 15 feet closer to us than we wanted it to be. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just something about the moose. You run across them more often. Um, they're big and they may not intend to hurt you, but if they hit you, they hurt you bad. So, yeah, they are large animals. What what does what's Phantom, the former uh, former ranger, what's his advice when you encounter a grizzly? What's the first thing you should do? And when you encounter a moose, what, what is the advice there? Uh <laughs> this is bad. I have to think about this with grizzlies. I mean, more often than not, um, most of the encounters are at distance. They don't really want to deal with humans. Um, most of the encounters around here that end badly are, are with people who are trying to blend in, i.e. hunters and stuff like that. 
the the best thing with grizzlies is prevention. Um, so making noise, um, especially coming around corners. Um, bear bells are pretty useless, but you know, clapping, um, yelling "Hey bear!" something that will startle them or create that startle effect. Because like whistling and stuff like that, if you hear somebody whistling, you're not going to be startled. But if you you know have a sudden you know sound, um, that will startle them. Um, and then of course, exercising good bear safety with food. Um, but if you encounter it, um, you know, the best thing to do is to, um, not run first off. If, if you run, they will chase you, um, hold your ground. Don't make eye contact, um, and have your bear spray ready. Um, if it's a black bear, you want to try to look large and forcibly scare it. Um, but that does not work with, with grizzlies. Um, and, you know, uh, be prepared to utilize the bear spray. And that's why it's important to have the bear spray on you always and readily to deploy. That uh, doesn't do you any good if it's in your backpack. Um, or in, but, your fanny, in your fanny pack and you can't get not that. in the fanny either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of the people around here that live around here are carrying bear spray. That's um, the best okay. to turn. So that's the conventional wisdom for grizzlies. Uh, and it goes, it's counterintuitive, right? Because something's come, something that large coming at you, you, you just want to, you want to run, but <laughs> you're not, you're not going to outrun it. And that's just going to spur it on to, to track you down. And so you want to mm -hmm. stand your ground and have your bear spray ready when every mm -hmm. fiber of your being is saying, get the hell out of here. Yep. You don't, you don't want to run, um, but um, backing away slowly um, and maintaining not eye contact. You don't want to make direct eye contact, but but you don't want to back away. You want to maintain um, visual contact with it. Um, but you definitely um, standing your ground with a grizzly doesn't work. You definitely want to ease your way back if the bear is not already running. So, yeah. So ghost mule, you say you don't want to maintain, you don't want to make eye contact. So are you are just, are you looking at a, a spot on the ground, 10 feet in front of it? Are you looking at its chest? Are you looking 10 feet above its head? I mean, what is the preferred, non-eye contact method here i think it's whatever you feel like you can do at the time because all of these uh techniques and, and advices and stuff that you get and read about and everything all of that shit pretty much goes right out the window that moment you see the bear um but yeah so i would say um i would watch their feet probably would be the best advice i could give because that's going to indicate whether they're going to run at you or okay. away from you um, the nice thing about bear spray is it's a fog pattern. You don't have to aim. So I'm sure I'll get lots of people that'll say that this is terrible advice, but, um, you know, like I say, it's, um, if you do everything preventatively, your chances of actually having a bear encounter are pretty slim. Well, you know, it's, it's in the bio. I mean, nobody, nobody could be, can be upset with us because it's in the bio of the podcast here that these are, these are tales told by, by those who barely survive. So, I mean, we're not pretending to be experts out here. We're, we're sharing our experiences and what we learned and, you know, we made it out alive, you know, even if it's just barely and, you know, take it for what it's worth. Like I say, um, my first encounter, the, as soon as the bear took, took one look at us and just noped its way out of the trail. So, and okay. we never saw. It. All right. Now, how about a moose? I, I have not yet heard, you know, definitive advice on how to handle a moose that is, you know, 15 feet away. Um, well, bear spray is effective on things more than, uh, than bears first off. Um, as I think, one of your recent guests found out it's also effective on humans inadvertently. Um, but, uh, that was, that was rad, right? That was Chris Carter. Yeah. 
who, who pulled out the bear spray and tried to open his tent uh, to get to the bear and ended up shooting the flap of the tent and it came back and hit him in the face. Yep. Yeah. The beta, yeah, the beta, me- the beta method, I think we call it the beta method of bear spray. Yeah, you spray well, yourself and- down with bear spray to make yourself unappealing. <laughs> well, you know, um, it, it could probably be a attractant at that point. It's just pepper. Um, yeah. With moose, um, I think again, it's, uh, give them a wide berth. Um, usually if they're running at you, they're just trying to get away. Um, I, you know, the Jeff Garmeyer approach of put something between you and the moose is probably a good, good way to approach it. Um, uh, for us, like I said, we just kind of backed up the hill as best we could. And, and fortunately the moose stopped. Um, but, um, yeah, um, just try to get out of their way because they're, they're, they're unpredictable. I think that's why they worry me more than the bears. The bears usually do the same kind of thing. And, and the moose, uh, startup moose just doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Well, I'm going to propose that, that, uh, here's a strategy. You don't have to be faster than the moose. You just have to be faster than phantom. Yes. Yeah. Right? Um, push your, uh, hiking partner down and then, and then take right. off Maybe that is the, maybe that's the, uh, you know, we had flexibility, we had stories, we experienced, we had a dog named Roscoe and maybe the fifth, the fifth quality you're looking for in a ultimate go-to hiking buddy is that he is not as fast as you are. Yeah. So yeah. That, definitely. Uh, there's a bear or a moose encounter. I mean, you, you're, you're doing okay. Yeah. You definitely want to know what their uh, average sprint speed is. <laughs> so, um, you know, again, good, good reason to have an older, older hiker as a hiking partner. That's right. I see. I see a whole series of uh, John Freakamere Pod listeners out there who are now arranging um, competitions um, with you know they have a stopwatch and they're going to measure their friends and who who is the faster or slower sprinter so they know who their ultimate go to hiking buddy is. Yeah, yeah, definitely have to have some time trials involved. Time trials. That's what I was looking for. Thank you, Ghost Meal. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Hey, in addition to the big animals out there, have you ever found yourself in an experience where you just thought to yourself, what in the hell am I doing out here? I, I am not going to make it out alive. I've had a few, but I, I would say probably the one that comes to mind the most is um, uh, we talked earlier about the crazy mountains and they, they definitely live up to their namesake. Um, twice now I have attempted to uh, backpack in there and both times I've been stymied. And both time has been by weather. Uh, the first time we just got, there was just too much snow. It was too early in the season. So we ended up camping in a, in a campground. But the second time we attempted to go up in October and October is really towards the end of the, of the weather hole uh, for backpacking and in uh, Montana and the weather can definitely get squirrely pretty much everywhere. And and the interesting thing is, is that although it's nice and clear and warm in the valley, just a few thousand feet up, it can be completely different. And so we went into the crazies in October and we attempted to make it up to the lake and there was still a pretty good amount of snow, but it didn't seem too bad. And we continued on up into the higher areas and it was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, there was snow everywhere um, and, and it was you know beautiful and clear. Um, but right about the time we started getting to the tree line, the wind started to pick up and it picked up a lot. And, um, we started going up and the wind was starting to blow the snow across the trail. We were kind of having a hard time finding where we were at. And at one point I even said to the, to the guys, I said, um, 
it's like, Hey, you know, I just want to open up a dialogue because we, you know, this is getting kind of sporty up here and, you know, want to think about maybe what point, at what point we're going to decide if we need to turn around. And, and so we decided to move forward. Um, and, uh, uh, I have a personal test uh, for when a situation starts to get out of hand um, and I call it the magazine test. And um, it's basically where if I'm in a situation and I sit down and I start thinking about it and if the situation I'm in sounds like something I would read in a magazine article about a, a missing hiker, it's probably a situation I need to leave. Um, so we weren't quite there yet, but we were definitely starting to write the intro paragraphs. Um, and so we got up to a point where the snow was nice and clear and, and a campsite and, and there wasn't a lot of snow. We would find out really soon why there wasn't a lot of snow there. Um, but we decided to set up camp and, um, it's still pretty windy and, um, it's starting to snow a little bit. We're still doing okay. We're not too cold. Um, you know, we're setting up camp and getting ready. Um, we got the tent set up, staked into the ground. Everything seemed fine. Uh, I went over to get something out of my pack and this massive gust of wind blows. And I look over in time to see my friend Ryan's tent, which was staked into the ground is now 20 feet in the air, spiraling across the campsite, spewing out all of his gear that was inside of the tent. And then I looked over at my tent and my tent was completely pancaked. It was completely flat. And so now we're scurrying through the snow to try to find all of Ryan's gear, which is now rapidly spreading out across the mountain and, um, packed every, grabbed everything, threw it into a pile, just kind of collectively looked at each other. I said, the magazine article just finished writing itself. It's time to turn around. And so we packed everything up and we took off down the mountain and it's the sun is setting and we're heading down and, and, uh, we managed to make it down into the uh, tree line right about sunset and, was able to get um, our tent set up and, and what we could find of, of, of Ryan's tent that was still left. Um, and uh, by this point, I think hypothermia was starting to set in. Um, I don't normally have campfires in the backcountry, but we made an exception here and, and we couldn't get the fire lit. And um, Ryan was not dealing well with it. And he was, you know, um, having a little bit of a moment uh, meltdown, but ultimately we were able to get the fire started. We were able to get warmed up, got some food in us, and um, we can look back and laugh at it now. But um, that is the first time in my career I ever saw a, a tent turn into a kite that was full of gear. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. And uh, the magazine test, that is that is awesome. I love that. <laughs> That's something I'm going to remember. Is this something that I'd be reading in a magazine right now about someone who who, who didn't didn't make it? So if so, get the hell out of there. Nice. All right. Hey, what's next for ghost meal? What's your next, what's your, what's your next adventure? Uh, so as of right now, um, we're in the process of still planning trips because, um, our season doesn't really start until the end of June. Um, everything's still pretty snow covered right now, but, uh, we're looking into doing, a um, possibly a week long trip in the wind river range, uh, in Wyoming, nice. um, which is a bucket list place for me. someplace mm -hmm. I definitely do. Um, and a couple other, you know, weekend trips here and there. Um, ultimately, um, I would like to uh, uh, potentially hike uh, the John Muir Trail. Um, obviously, something you're very well familiar with, and and some of the uh, interest in that came from listening to your podcast. Nice. Um, 
I had a plan uh, with a gentleman that lives out there, but it, it fell through um, for, you know, life reasons. Um, but yeah, I'd like to eventually do that. Ultimately, um, the downfall of hiking regularly with a through hiker is uh, that bug, uh, that bug into the uh, cult gets uh, planted. Um, I, I ultimately would like to uh, try to hike the PCT. Awesome. That's fantastic. And I know what you mean about the seed, the bug. I, I, I like the, ref, the way you refer to it, the bug being planted, not the seed being planted, the bug, because it just kind of burrows its way in there into your brain and festers. Um, that's one of the downfalls of interviewing long, long trail through hikers is you're like, you know, is that something I could do? And, oh. and you kind of, you kind of, you wonder about that and it, and it kind of settles in there. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. When every single backpacking trip you go on is another story about a hiker that he ran into or an experience that he had, or um, when he tells you the story about the best trail names he's ever heard or any of that stuff, um, you can't help but, but want to do it. He, and he is, yeah. he is the worst at it. Um, so yeah, I, I have a foreseeable, I foresee in my future that um, he will probably succeed in turning me to the dark side um, soon as I can find six months to do it, I guess. Nice. All right. Hey, Ghost Mill, you know where we are? I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's the pro tip of the week. The pro tip insight of the week. Wow. Look at that regular listener. He knows what's coming. You can't fool this guy. Yes, that's right. Half calf. It is time for the pro tip insight of the week. That time of the episode where I turn to our guest and ask him to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. Ghost Mule, what do you have for us? So I think for me, um, going back into the idea of helping the, the, the trail being instrumental in helping me with my mental health and, and things like that, I think one thing that a lot of people, especially in the middle of type two fun, tend to forget is, is to stop and, and take it in. And so my tip, I guess, would be to not forget to stop every once in a while and just allow yourself to be thir- uh, silent for 30 seconds and listen to what's around you. Because I think we, especially living in cities, tend to get desensitized to the noises and, and what's going on around us. And I found that the simple act of just quieting myself and, and allowing the sounds around me to kind of filter in, um, it kind of reconnects me to the trail and re-energizes my purpose for being out there. Um, so all the miles and all of the, the fun stories and, and um, uh, you know, uh, chats around the campfire are great. But I think for me, ultimately, it comes back to being able to reconnect with that and being able to quiet my mind and kind of recenter. Well said. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Ghost Mule. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Calman, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Make sure you tell us about your YouTube channel as well. Yeah, so my YouTube channel, um, my little hobby, it's nothing major. It's pretty small right now, but uh, it's called Everyday Backpacker, um, which is kind of a play on the idea of your average everyday backpacker, which is basically all I am. I'm, I'm no, nothing special, I guess, a weekend warrior. But um, yeah, so Everyday Backpacker is my channel. Um, I share various trip adventures as well as, um, some 
advice, hopefully better advice than I, I gave with uh, animal encounters on this little venture. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a fun thing for me. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Uh, it's the same. It's uh, everyday underscore backpacker. Um, and there I do a little bit more informal updates and stuff, but like I said, it's, uh, nothing major. It's just a lot of fun. It's a creative outlet for me. Um, now everyday underscore backpacker, do you have a running feud or a competition with everyday hyphen backpacker? I mean, do you guys kind of go at each other a little bit or. I don't know. I haven't tracked this person down (laughs) and see what they're doing. Um, all right. Hey, remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. No TikTok yet, Ghost Mule? No, no. I, people have asked. I, I, My technological, the fact that I'm able to put anything up on YouTube at this point is a minor miracle. So I don't know. I uh, haven't done the TikTok thing yet. That's uh, probably pretty smart. I get I get mocked by my family for having a, a John Freaking Mule TikTok account. Hey, um, do whatever happy man don't worry about other people nice thank you thank you for the positive reinforcement there also if you have comments or clips you want to share you can send it to me at john at gmail.com the adventure media recommendation i'm a little behind today uh ghost (laughs) mule i'm also looking you to share a recommendation for a book a movie documentary website or youtube channel keep keep uh, our listeners connected to the outdoor experience we're calling this our adventure media recommendation what do you have for us uh i have two i think um one uh is a documentary uh that i really enjoy i know you're you're familiar with a mile mile and a half um i just i love the concept you know being a creative person myself i the the what better group of people to encapsulate uh that kind of adventure than a bunch of artists and, uh, and their camaraderie is awesome. And I love the fact that they just kind of absorb people into their little, little group throughout. Um, and then the other one uh, is a little bit more of the old schooler in me. Um, and uh, this is a book by um, Colin Fletcher, who is considered the father of modern backpacking. Um, and that's The uh, the Man Who Walked Through Time, um, oh. which is a book about his um, uh, solo hike below the rim, the entire length of the Grand Canyon. I want to say he did it in sixties or seventies. It's been a while since I read it. Um, but it's a very interesting, um, uh, uh, look into, uh, backpacking of a bygone era. Um, and, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it does mention, um, uh, naked hiking. Um, so, you know, just be prepared for that, but Naked hiking. Okay. And this was, uh, the man who walked through time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Colin Fletcher, the man who walked through time. Okay. There he is. He's holding it up. That sounds like, that sounds like, uh, uh, my next choice on my list here. So perfect. All right. What have we not asked you? Oh, half cap with that accent there. Hey, before we wrap things up, we've got just one more segment for you called what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What did we leave out? Uh, I don't know. You asked so many things I wasn't prepared for. Now I'm a little off kilter. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anything. <laughs> okay. Then we must've done, must done a good job then. That's okay. Yeah. I don't know. Um, other than backpacking, I, I love coffee. Uh, coffee's a big deal. So, <laughs> okay. What kind of coffee, what, what kind of coffee is your favorite? Um, you know, uh, I'm on off trail. I'm a bit of a coffee snob. I really enjoy uh, French press. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I talked about Hilltop Packs. I think they are the perfect backpacking company because not only do they provide backpacking gear, but they also have Hilltop Packs coffee. Um, so they make their own coffee. So it's like, I mean, how else can you get the best of both worlds? Um, on trail though, I think um, my standards dip considerably um, for easier um, fixing. I, I, I think an interesting uh, psychological uh, um Tests would be to see how the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs shifts in the back country versus the front country. Um, but there I, I tend to go with like Alpine start instant coffee. Um, that way I don't have to mess with grounds or anything um, and just need the, the quick fix. So sometimes even cold. You don't just chew on the coffee beans. You know, I have not reached that level of desperation, <laughs> but there have warnings it's been considered. Yeah. I think all of our standards slip a bit on the trail. So that's, that's well said as well. All right. Hey, that is a wrap from the John freaking mirror studio. Any shout outs to friends and family ghost mule? Um, well, I think obviously the big one would be phantom. Um, you know, thanks for always being, uh, a willing participant in my insane trips and for sharing your, uh, wisdom and, uh, jokes and witty dry sense of humor. Um, um, uh, also, yeah, my dad, um, for although haphazardly always being the, the inevitable planting of the seed, uh, in my love for the outdoors, um, and my stepmom for putting up with him. So nice. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if your buddy's tent has been flying like a kite out there. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.